So we're wrapping up our series called I Am. We've been looking at the identity and mission of Jesus through the eyes of the Apostle John. He wrote John's Gospel. And in that Gospel, Jesus made seven different statements known as the I Am statements, where he declared who he is. And he said things like, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. So we get life by staying connected to him. He said that he's the light of the world. He's the door. So there's all these different things we've been unpacking. He's the good shepherd. And so this morning, we're looking at the seventh thing. And he made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And then we've been looking at seven letters that Jesus wrote. He wrote them to seven specific churches, but we're told in the book of Revelation they were meant for all churches everywhere to read, to understand, and to apply to their lives. And so we're going to be looking at the letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Laodicea this morning. So that's where we're heading. So let's begin with John chapter 14, verse 6. This is where Jesus made his bold statement. And he declares in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, he's talking to Thomas, but he's talking to all of his disciples. They're gathered around. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a pretty bold statement that he makes right there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then to just be really clear what I'm talking about, no one can have access to God except through me. And that, that word no one there, if you look in the King James, it says no man. It literally means not one single person ever in all of humanity. No person comes to the Father except through Jesus. He's making a very bold declarative sentence statement about who he is in his essence. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to unpack those three words in just a minute. Um, but it was funny, uh, preparing for this this week, my, my mind echoed back to my first memory of spending time in Knoxville. My first memory. So this was probably a year and a half before we moved here. In fact, it was Labor Day weekend, 2014. And one of the things that was significant about that weekend was Booms Day. Do we have any Knoxville natives that remember Booms Day? Okay, I got to experience it once. It was, I think it was the very last time they had it where they set the fireworks off of the bridge. Which bridge did they shoot those off of prior? Henley? Henley, okay. I don't know. Anyways, one of those bridges. And so we were in town visiting and Savannah probably is in the restroom or something. Now I'm calling her out again like multiple weeks in a row here. But Savannah hosted my wife and I. She got us tickets to the UT game that, that weekend. We stuck around. We watched the fireworks with them from an area known as the Bluffs. Anybody know that little area on the other side of the river? Hiked up and got to watch. It was incredible. Now, as cool as all that was, attending a UT football game at the 15-yard line in the student section, it was a win, which is hard to come by these days. That's a miracle, really, yeah. That was a blast. The fireworks were a blast. Savannah, I'm talking about the weekend me and Amy visited. You know, yeah. Oh, you needed, you needed some coffee. That's what you needed. Listen, you're allowed to get coffee in the middle of the message. Just bring me one, and then we'll be good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, so um, we just had this great weekend, and it was, it was one of the times where we were just dipping our toes and checking out Knoxville and just dreaming about what the future might hold. But I have to be honest with you, that whole season of our life was really unclear. 
Everything was muddy. It was hard to know where we were supposed to go, what we were supposed to do. We were very established in the community that we were in, in the Franklin area, south of Nashville. Uh, We lived there 16 or 17 years. It was our whole married life, adult life was there. But we had this sense that God was preparing us for a new place and a new adventure and a new season, but we didn't know where or when. And it got hard along the way. And so during that trip, we were driving around checking out different areas in Knoxville, and we were in South Knoxville, and we'd found this property that was kind of in the woods and had a couple of acres, and you had to go all the way back down this this, um, gravel road to get to this house just in the middle of nowhere. And it was this old abandoned house. Nobody was living in it. And so this was several hours before the football game. We thought, let's just sneak in. We'll go check it out and just see. Just be fun to see this little spot. So we get out there, and it had been rainy all weekend, and I made the mistake when I was turning around to leave to pull into the yard because there wasn't a good spot to turn on the little driveway, and I got stuck in the mud. And we're in the middle of nowhere, and my cell service is spotty, and I'm like in the mud, and then I'm doing the thing where like I'm trying different things. I'm trying to slowly step on the gas. I'm trying to to back up and then go forward. And all I'm doing is like digging a deeper rut. And then what started to happen is anytime I'd make any progress, it was further into the yard. I was going the wrong direction. There was a little bit of a slope and I was just getting deep in the mud and going down the slope. And I'm just going, man, here we are in this town. I don't know anybody. I'm not sure to call right now. I'm getting terrible cell coverage. I even had to tell them how to find us. We drove like probably, I don't know, maybe an eighth of a mile back this gravel road to this property. So long story short, several hours later, a tow truck finally made it out to us. It's Labor Day weekend and a game day. Guess what they're doing? They're towing cars that are illegally parked all over downtown. So they finally, somebody comes out to us, they pull us out, And what was interesting, um, the way they got us out was not by getting in the mud with us, (laughs) okay? The way they got out was staying on the solid paved driveway and running a cable out to us and pulling us out of the mud onto the real road. And that, that moment felt like such a metaphor to me. I felt like Jesus was talking to me about how I was just in the mud, spinning my wheels, trying to make life happen, and couldn't figure out which end was up and which way to go. And he was saying, dude, listen, I've got this. I'm going to latch onto you and grab a hold of you, and I'll get you on the road in the path that you're supposed to be on. And he was operating from the firm foundation that he is, right? The scripture talks about that, that we should build our life on the rock and not on the sand. And he was reminding me of that. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I can take that as an offensive statement. We often do in our culture now. When people make declarative statements, we want nothing to do with that. We tolerate every thought, every idea. Whatever works for you is fine. Jesus didn't mean this to be an insulting thing. It's a statement of truth. I have what you need. You're looking for the way, I'm it. You're looking for something real and true, I'm the answer. You're looking for life right here, right now, and a hope in a future forever, 
That's what I have to offer. The way, the truth, and the life. These three words, I want to give you a little essence of what they mean. The word way there, it means a traveler's way or a road. It also means a course of conduct, a manner of thinking, feeling, and deciding. This is the way I live my life, the road that I walk, the way I determine my actions, my decisions. That's what that word means. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, when he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many walk that road, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. That's the same way. He's saying very few people will actually accept the fact that I am the way, that I'm the way to life. But man, if you find it, it's a good way. It's the only way. He says also, I'm the truth. This word truth means truth. It means in reality, with certainty. I love the word reality. It's not just about a vague truth of some sort. Jesus is saying, I am reality. If you align yourself with me, you align yourself with what is real. I'm the real God who made everything. I know how it works. I hold it all together. I also know when things are broken, why they're not working. You know, one of our biggest objections to God is bad things happen in this world. So where's God in that? God is in it saying, I can tell you why it's not working. I can tell you why it's broken. There's a reason. I am the truth. And if you will base your life on the reality that I am God and I am king, and I made you, and I made this world to operate in a certain way, and we align our life with that truth, man, then we have something. It, it can be hard. The truth can be difficult sometimes. But it's real. Jesus is real. And what he says is real, and it speaks to what is eternal. And so he says in John 8, 32, this same word truth, he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. But you have to know it. He said, you'll know the truth and it will make you free. The truth is available if we'll know him. So he's the way, he's the truth. And then finally he says, I'm the life. First of all, this word simply means just the state of being alive. I, I have vitality, I have life in my body. But it also means fullness of life, active, vigorous, it's, it's a high quality of life. So it's not just the difference between I'm not breathing and I am. It also is this vital, active, full life. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you life. And in two clear places in John's gospel, he defines this a little bit. In John 3.16, he tells us that eternal life is available to everyone through him. And he also tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, that abundant life is available in him. And so when Jesus says, I'm the life, what he's saying is, I have something for you right here, right now. I have a full, rich life that is available to you on this planet right now. But also, I'm offering you something that will last. I'm offering you something that is eternal. It's a life that never goes out. We learned 
in like the second week, I think, that Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life. He's offering eternal life and abundant life. Y'all feel like we have a, a fairly clear picture of what Jesus is meaning when he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's a way that you can live, that you can base your life on the reality of who God is and how this world works. And the offer is a rich, full life now and eternal life forever with him. This is his offer. Now, this verse was in the midst of a fuller conversation that was happening. In John's gospel, there's several chapters in a row where Jesus is speaking with the disciples. He's praying for the disciples. It's all a part of his final night with them before he goes to the cross. And so in John 14, in the midst of this time that he's spending with his close disciples, we're going to start in verse 1 to give some context to what he's saying right here. Chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus writes, or John writes, um, Jesus' words, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus' way addresses our fears and offers eternal life very simply in a relationship with him. What he's describing in those passages is a relationship. You have a way in to the family of God. There is a home that's being prepared for you. And I've shown you the way to get to this home that God has prepared for you. And, and if, you'll, if you'll receive this truth, it will address all your fears. Don't be troubled. Listen, I look back at 2017, and I have to tell you, there were a lot of times during the course of this year where I was troubled. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the only one. I was troubled. I was troubled for the world that we live in. I was troubled for our nation. Listen, I was just troubled by things happening in my own life. I can't get out of my own way half the time. Maybe more than half the time. <laughs> there, was, there was trouble during this past year. But Jesus says, if you will let the reality of my way, my truth, and my life come into your life, if you will hold on to that, it will address your fears. It will bring comfort in the midst of trouble. And know that there is a future home that I'm preparing for you. That's wonderful. There's a house and a room with your name on it. That's an encouraging thought. And it's a true thought. And so Jesus says all this and he says, you know the way. Now, I love the disciple Thomas. You know, poor Thomas, I feel like he gets a bad rap. What is Thomas known as? There's, a, there's usually a little like doubting. doubting Thomas, right? I didn't have to finish the question. You know, doubting Thomas. Here's what I love about Thomas. Thomas wrestled. Thomas asked questions. He asked Jesus some of the hardest questions. And Jesus never just blew him off. Jesus would stop and answer and address Thomas's questions. And so Thomas is hearing all this and he's like, okay, no trouble. Don't, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. That sounds good. You're preparing a home for us. That sounds great. Wait, hold on. You said we know the way. I'm not really sure that I do. 
And so in verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He's like, hold up. This, this ain't making sense. You're going where? Huh? What? I love how he just verbalizes those questions we all want to ask, but we don't want to be the kid in the room that raises our hand and asks the question. Thomas asks it. And I just have to say, because Thomas was willing to ask those hard questions and wrestle through with the Lord, we forget how his life ended up. Thomas was martyred because he believed so strongly in his faith in Jesus that he didn't let go of it. And so he was killed for his faith. That's not a man who doubts. That's a man who has wrestled and questioned and and became rooted in the truth and reality of Jesus Christ. And that was the mark on his life. I'm grateful that Thomas verbalizes some of the doubts and questions that I have. And so he says, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. What's the way? How do we get there? And Jesus answers him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, you can know the eternal king. You can know the Father in heaven through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The way is to walk with Jesus. The reality is to base your life on the truth that Jesus is king and creator and Lord. The life that he offers is knowing him. It's knowing him. And that relationship will be eternal because he's eternal. This is what Jesus offers. So he wants to make this clear. And here's the beauty of this. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, what he's saying is, I have the answer to all of the questions you would ask about this life. Why am I here? Jesus has an answer for that. How should I live? How do I make choices today? He has the answer for that. He even has the answer for like the really hard questions. I mentioned this earlier. Why do bad things happen? He has some answers for that. He even answers the really, really big question. Like after everything else happens, then what happens? What happens when I die? He's got the answer to that. When we base our life in Jesus, we find what we are looking for. You know, some of the old ancient writers, I like to read some of these older guys that have since gone on to heaven. G.K. Chesterton talked about Christianity, the life he found in Jesus this way. He talked about it as if it was a key. And he said, when I began to look at the life Jesus offered, if it was real, it had to fit everything. It wasn't just enough for it to seem right over here. It had to fit everything. And so he said, I began to try on this life that Jesus talked about in every door in every aspect of life. And he said, over and over and over again, I found that Jesus was the key to every single door. And he was, he was saying all this in reference to how do you make an argument for somebody that Jesus is real? He's like, well, I can't answer one question to answer that. He's the answer to all the questions. C.S. Lewis talked about it like this. He said life in Jesus, life in God, was similar to the way the sun operates. It's not just that I can look up and see that the sun is there in the sky. It's that I see everything else by the light of the sun. The rest of the world is clear because I have the sun to shine upon it. 
When we realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, we see the sun and we see everything else under the sun and it makes sense. Now what I see might be scary at times. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. He's real with us. He's honest with us. And he shows us the way to life that's available in him. That's Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this Jesus wrote a letter to a church in a town called Laodicea. So let me give you a little bit of a description. We've kind of been doing this with each of the letters to these churches. This is a real town that existed during Jesus' day. Um, they were in what is now the country of Turkey, but this is part of the Roman province. And so let's put the first map up there. Caleb, you guys might have this thing memorized by the time we're done if you've been here, but I just want to refresh your memory. I probably need like a fancy laser pointer or something, but I can just walk over here. So there's this little island out here called Patmos. This is where John the Apostle is imprisoned on this island. He's alone. He's in his 90s most likely, late 80s, early 90s. He's the old, wizened veteran of the faith. He's the last living disciple of the original disciples. He's watched them all, many of them, be killed for their faith. And this, this old man that's holding on to the truth of Jesus has this heavenly vision known as the, the, the letter that we call the book of Revelation, where Jesus appears to him, angels come and speak to him, and he gets this picture of who God is, things he wants to say right now, and truth about the future. And so he's told to write seven letters. They're personal letters from Jesus. They're in red if you open up the book of Revelation. Jesus said, I want you to say these things to these churches. And he wrote seven of them to these individual cities. And he said, I want you to share all the letters with all the cities. And if you track the order of the letters in the book of Revelation, they go in order from Patmos. So he wrote to the church at Ephesus was the first letter then Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Thyatira, Sardis. We looked at Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. And this morning now we're at Laodicea. I want you to see one more thing before we move on. Up above it is Heropolis and down below is Colossae. That town Colossae, that's the Colossians, the letter that was written to the Colossians. We're going to talk about them a little bit. Um, they were a very nearby city. That's about 11 miles between Colossae and Laodicea. They were like sister cities. So let me tell you a little bit about this town. Um, this town had a lot. Uh, Caleb, if you want to start scrolling through, these are some pictures of the ruins. These existing remains really kind of attest to the former greatness of this city. Um, in fact, the ruins were really well preserved. And as of 2012, they were being renovated. They're being kind of worked on and maintained. And so these buildings include a stadium, um, some baths, like a bathhouse, uh, uh, some temples, a theater, a gymnasium. They've even maintained some of the ruins of what was probably sort of like a, like a Senate-type building, a government building of some sort. All of this was maintained there. This was, this was a well-to-do city. I, I've mentioned a couple of times that um, there were earthquakes that were hitting this area um, we'll talk about these in just a minute if you want to leave those up, Caleb. Um, the earthquakes were hitting that area and a couple of towns got decimated. I don't know if any of you remember that. Many of those towns had to get funds from Rome to rebuild their city. 
Laodicea was so wealthy, they said, nah, we don't need your aid. We got it. And they rebuilt their city from their own wealth. This is a well-to-do area. Um, They had a school of medicine there. And they were well-known specifically for eye and ear issues. In fact, they had developed this really really good and well-sought-after eye salve that would help with your eyesight. Um, They were a center for banking. They were very wealthy as a result of that. And they were also famous for trade, very specifically black wool garments. They were really well known for. And so here's this city well-to-do. They'd had some tragedy with the earthquake, but they had rebuilt because they were well off. Um, I mentioned already their sister city was Colossae. Uh, Laodicea is 11 miles away from there. And there's an interesting little note. Now, if, if you were attending church here, not this summer, but in the summer of 2016, we did a series on the book of Colossians. And in that series, we, we noted this connection. Paul's letter that he wrote to the Colossians was intended to be shared with Laodicea. And also vice versa. He wrote a letter to the Laodiceans that they were meant to share with Colossae. Check this out. This is found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes and he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. So, so Paul wrote these twin letters that were meant to speak to and encourage these two towns. Now, we don't have the letter to the church at Laodicea. I think as we begin to discover what, what their issue was, what Jesus was frustrated with them about in just a moment when we read his letter to them, uh, it's kind of interesting that they lost their letter. I just find that interesting. They lost their letter. The Colossians held on to theirs. We still have it today. The Laodiceans lost their letter. It's lost to history. We don't have it. But Paul wrote these two letters. The primary message to the Colossians that the Laodiceans were supposed to hear, his primary message is that Christ is the king. That is what the letter to the Colossians was about. Jesus is king. And the whole letter is either discussing that he is king or then talking about what it looks like in our lives when we let him be our king. Here's how this will play out in your life if you will invite Jesus to be king of your life. That was what the letter to the Colossians was about. So Paul wrote that letter in about A.D. 64. Okay, if we fast forward a little bit, John wrote the book of Revelation in A.D. 96. So 30 years have passed since the Laodiceans got a letter talking to them about the importance of Jesus being their king and basing their life on that. And 30 years later, this is now a personal letter that Jesus is writing to them about what he sees going on in their life. Are we ready to jump into this? Feel like you got some good background there? Okay. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
A better translation there would be vomit. I would vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying, y'all are just this lukewarm, mediocre, like the taste of something lukewarm. It just makes me want to, ugh, it grosses me out. It makes me sick. Now, I think we can already get the visual of drinking like lukewarm water and knowing like that might not taste so great. Like we can all get that image. But Jesus is speaking very directly to them about something they could relate to. Laodicea is a well-to-do town. They did not have a primary water source. Can we throw that picture back up there? I probably should have put it after the verse. Okay, Caleb's on it. I didn't even have to say anything. So what they had done is they had created this, um, this system that brought water to them from over six miles away. Wow. Pretty impressive. This system, they could get water from two places. They could get cold water from the mountains that would come down. There was also a hot spring nearby in Heropolis, and they could get water from there. The problem is, when that water has traveled six miles to get to your door, guess what's happened to the hot water? And guess what's happened to the cold water? It's lukewarm. It had lost the coldness and the heat that they were so attracted to. I mean, I think they might have been the first people to experience what we joke about as first world problems. They're rich. They got all this money coming in. It's this well-to-do town. And can't you just hear them complaining like, we just can't ever get a cold drink of water. I can't ever just get a hot shower. It's always just this lukewarm, ugh. They could relate to being annoyed with lukewarm water. They could relate to wanting a hot bath and not being able to get it. They could relate to wanting an ice cold glass of water and just getting this gross, lukewarm thing. They could relate to that. And so Jesus says, in the very same way that you wish you could have ice cold water to drink or a hot bath to take, in the very same way, this is what your relationship with me is like. It's mediocre. It's lukewarm. It's frustrating. And it makes me sick. Ouch. That's Jesus' letter to Laodicea. Now, thank the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this Jesus wrote a letter to a church in a town called Laodicea. So let me give you a little bit of a description. We've kind of been doing this with each of the letters to these churches. This is a real town that existed during Jesus' day. Um, they were in what is now the country of Turkey, but this is part of the Roman province. And so let's put the first map up there. Caleb, you guys might have this thing memorized by the time we're done if you've been here, but I just want to refresh your memory. I probably need like a fancy laser pointer or something, but I can just walk over here. So there's this little island out here called Patmos. This is where John the Apostle is imprisoned on this island. He's alone. He's in his 90s most likely, late 80s, early 90s. He's the old, wizened veteran of the faith. He's the last living disciple of the original disciples. He's watched them all, many of them, be killed for their faith. And this, this old man that's holding on to the truth of Jesus has this heavenly vision known as the, the, the letter that we call the book of Revelation, where Jesus appears to him, angels come and speak to him, and he gets this picture of who God is, things he wants to say right now, and truth about the future. And so he's told to write seven letters. They're personal letters from Jesus. They're in red if you open up the book of Revelation. 
Jesus said, I want you to say these things to these churches. And he wrote seven of them to these individual cities. And he said, I want you to share all the letters with all the cities. And if you track the order of the letters in the book of Revelation, they go in order from Patmos. So he wrote to the church at Ephesus was the first letter, then Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Thyatira, Sardis. We looked at Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. And this morning now we're at Laodicea. I want you to see one more thing before we move on. Up above it is Heropolis and down below is Colossae. That town Colossae, that's the Colossians, the letter that was written to the Colossians. We're going to talk about them a little bit. Um, they were a very nearby city. That's about 11 miles between Colossae and Laodicea. They were like sister cities. So let me tell you a little bit about this town. Um, this town had a lot. Uh, Caleb, if you want to start scrolling through, these are some pictures of the ruins. These existing remains really kind of attest to the former greatness of this city. Um, in fact, the ruins were really well preserved. And as of 2012, they were being renovated. They're being kind of worked on and maintained. And so these buildings include a stadium, um, some baths, like a bathhouse, uh, uh, some temples, a theater, a gymnasium. They've even maintained some of the ruins of what was probably sort of like a, like a Senate-type building, a government building of some sort. All of this was maintained there. This was, this was a well-to-do city. I, I've mentioned a couple of times that um, there were earthquakes that were hitting this area. Um, we'll talk about these in just a minute if you want to leave those up, Caleb. Um, that earthquakes were hitting that area, and a couple of towns got decimated. I don't know if any of you remember that. Many of those towns had to get funds from Rome to rebuild their city. Laodicea was so wealthy, they said, nah, we don't need your aid. We got it. And they rebuilt their city from their own wealth. This is a well-to-do area. Um, they had a school of medicine there. And they were well-known specifically for eye and ear issues. In fact, they had developed this really, um, this really good and well-sought-after eye salve that would help with your eyesight. Um, they were a center for banking. They were very wealthy as a result of that. And they were also famous for trade, very specifically black wool garments. They were really well known for. And so here's this city well to do. They'd had some tragedy with the earthquake, but they had rebuilt because they were well off. Um, I mentioned already their sister city was Colossae. Uh, Laodicea is 11 miles away from there. And there's an interesting little note. Now, if, if you were attending church here, not this summer, but in the summer of 2016, we did a series on the book of Colossians. And in that series, we, we noted this connection. Paul's letter that he wrote to the Colossians was intended to be shared with Laodicea. And also vice versa. He wrote a letter to the Laodiceans that they were meant to share with Colossae. Check this out. This is found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes and he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. So, so Paul wrote these twin letters that were meant to speak to and encourage these two towns. Now, we don't have the letter to the church at Laodicea. 
I think as we begin to discover what, what their issue was, what Jesus was frustrated with them about in just a moment when we read his letter to them, uh, it's kind of interesting that they lost their letter. I just find that interesting. They lost their letter. The Colossians held on to theirs. We still have it today. The Laodiceans lost their letter. It's lost to history. We don't have it. But Paul wrote these two letters. The primary message to the Colossians that the Laodiceans were supposed to hear, his primary message is that Christ is the king. That is what the letter to the Colossians was about. Jesus is king. And the whole letter is either discussing that he is king or then talking about what it looks like in our lives when we let him be our king. Here's how this will play out in your life if you will invite Jesus to be king of your life. That was what the letter to the Colossians was about. So Paul wrote that letter in about A.D. 64. Okay, if we fast forward a little bit, John wrote the book of Revelation in A.D. 96. So 30 years have passed since the Laodiceans got a letter talking to them about the importance of Jesus being their king and basing their life on that. And 30 years later, this is now a personal letter that Jesus is writing to them about what he sees going on in their life. We ready to jump into this? Feel like you got some good background there? Okay. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. A better translation there would be vomit. I would vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying, y'all are just this lukewarm, mediocre, like the taste of something lukewarm. It just makes me want to, ugh. It grosses me out. It makes me sick. Now, I think we can already get the visual of drinking like lukewarm water and knowing like that might not taste so great. Like we can all get that image. But Jesus is speaking very directly to them about something they could relate to. Laodicea is a well-to-do town. They did not have a primary water source. Can we throw that picture back up there? I probably should have put it after the verse. Okay, Caleb's on it. I didn't even have to say anything. So what they had done is they had created this, um, this system that brought water to them from over six miles away. Wow. Pretty impressive. This system, they could get water from two places. They could get cold water from the mountains that would come down. There was also a hot spring nearby in Heropolis, and they could get water from there. The problem is when that water has traveled six miles to get to your door, Guess what's happened to the hot water? And guess what's happened to the cold water? It's lukewarm. It had lost the coldness and the heat that they were so attracted to. I mean, I think they might have been the first people to experience what we joke about as first world problems. They're rich. They got all this money coming in. It's this well-to-do town. And can't you just hear them complaining like, we just can't ever get a cold drink of water. I can't ever just get a hot shower. It's always just this lukewarm, ugh, they could relate to being annoyed with lukewarm water. They could relate to wanting a hot bath and not being able to get it. They could relate to wanting an ice 
cold glass of water and just getting this gross, lukewarm thing. They could relate to that. And so Jesus says, in the very same way that you wish you could have ice cold water to drink or a hot bath to take, in the very same way, this is what your relationship with me is like. It's mediocre. It's lukewarm. It's frustrating. And it makes me sick. Ouch. That's Jesus' letter to Laodicea. Now, thank goodness that Jesus loves us. He loves even the mediocre and the lukewarm. Because he, he is the God who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he will speak truth so we can find a way to have the life we were meant to have. And so he begins to speak some hard truth to them. Verse 17, for you say, talking to Laodiceans, you say, I am rich, and they were. I have prospered, and they had. I have need of nothing. Even that was true. They could fix their own earthquake disaster. Not realizing that you are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, it's pretty fascinating the specific things that he points out in the next verse. But I don't want to move too quickly past this warning. He is saying to them, and I hope we hear it this morning because he could be saying to us that it is possible for you to be living life in such a way that you think everything is fine. Everything's good. My life's covered. I have no big needs. I'm all right. Everything's easy street. And in reality, you might be missing the fact that you're empty, that you're poor, that you're blind, that you're missing out on real life. It's possible to be in that condition. Paul wrote about this in the letter to the Colossians when he warned them not to fall for the things that this world has to offer. And he said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. He warns us because it's possible to fall for this. That was a letter to a church. Jesus wrote a letter to a church. He said, you guys know the truth. You know who I am. You know what I've done for you. You know the life that's available to you. And yet you have fallen for a lie. You're believing this empty deceit of what the world offers, that the, the wealth, the riches, the good standing of this world is enough. And it will leave you short. It will leave you empty. The best that this world has to offer is not enough. We live in a day and age where we are being sold all kinds of things all the time. We might literally be getting sold something. I mean, commercials come at you whether you got a TV or not. They're everywhere. I mean, even just like an app on your phone, right? It's like interrupting you with an ad. Buy this thing that you didn't know you need, but guess what? You really need it, and it'll make you real happy if you get it. Like, we're being sold stuff constantly. But, but we're being sold even more than just a consumerism. We're being sold certain things about how the world works, and we buy them. We buy that one particular political party has the answers. 
We buy that one type of, of government has all the answers. We buy from Hollywood that they've got it figured out and can tell us what a beautiful, wonderful life will look like. Meanwhile, the people acting this out are being abused and mistreated and damaged. The people selling this life are trading around people. Our government comes along and tries to sell us a bill of goods. Politicians are trying to tell us we have the, the high moral ground and then look at the fruit of their lives. It's bankrupt. I want to be careful not to get too detailed this morning. We've got kids in the room, but man, my goodness, I just saw not but a couple months ago, I think now, this guy whose job, he was, he was in the conservative world working for a company that was... Um, against some homosexual standpoints and he was one of the key spokesmen and he was living a private gay life. Like the, the hypocrisy on every side of the aisle, it's heartbreaking. But we can still buy into this thought that, well, but if we replaced that political party or, man, if, if we... You know, if we adopted this way of government, this, this system, this structure, and what, what Jesus is warning against is they're all bankrupt. Why? Because people are running them. <laughs> we could devise the most perfect system ever, and it would fall short because people fall short. Because at the end of the day, the real issue is that people need a life-changing encounter with the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we need. And so Jesus just holds up the mirror and he says, you might think things are good and well off, but you have drifted and are distant from me. Your relationship with me is essentially non-existent. And it breaks my heart. And so I'm going to hold up the mirror and let you know you're in trouble. You're poor, you're wretched, you're blind, you're naked, you're pitiable. And then look at, look at verse 8, or excuse me, verse 18. Revelation 3.18, Jesus now gives them some direction, a way forward. He's talked about what's bad. Here's what's available. I counsel you to buy gold or to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich. Remember, this is a key banking center. You're going to notice a pattern here in just a second if you watch for it. This banking center that was rich, Jesus said, you need to buy my riches my gold that's been refined in the fire. And he said, and get white garments from me so that you can clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. This is the city that was known for its black wool garments. And Jesus is offering them white. And then finally he says, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is the place that a school of medicine that had developed a highly sought after eye salve and he says, you're the blind ones. But I've got something that can fix your eyes. You want a rich, full life? It's available in me. You want to see the way to walk and the way to live? I can give you clear sight. You want to be clothed? You want to be able to be real and honest? He said, listen, you're, you're naked, you're exposed. But in me, you can be clothed and covered and in good standing. This is what's available to you and me. And he finishes all these hard things and then this direct encouragement for them to get life in him. 
by simply saying in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. God loves us enough to speak truth and invite us to experience change. We can experience change. I think it's fitting at the end of an old year and the dawn of a new year, I realize that we can get caught up in just the typical New Year's resolutions and decide about, I don't know, eating something different, exercising more, something, and maybe some of it sticks and a lot of it falls to the wayside. I don't want to preach a message about New Year's resolutions this morning. But what I will say is that there is a life available in Jesus. And if we've been just settling for religious, for mediocre, for just getting by, there's more available in him. There's a vibrant, living relationship with the Son of God who loves us. And it will change our lives if we will let him show us the way to live and how to walk. It will address our troubled hearts. It will provide eternal hope. And it will provide rich and abundant life here and now. Jesus closes his letter the same way he closed all seven letters. He gave them a glimpse of the future and he told them to pay attention to his words. I want to read this and then we're going to wrap up. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Think about, that's an act of humility. The person who's the way, the truth, and the life is just standing there going, you want to let me in? I'm right here, knocking on your door. And if you'll invite me in, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We can exchange life. We can be in communion with one another. I want to come into your life and show you how to walk, show you how to live. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. If you'll make me the king of your life, There's a throne waiting for you one day. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will we heed these letters? He who has an ear, let him hear. Here's the one that's standing at the door knocking, the true vine, the one that if we're connected to him, we'll have life. He's the resurrection in the life. We have an eternal hope in Jesus. So even when we face death or our loved ones face death, we can be assured that they are alive forevermore in Jesus and we can be with them one day. He's the bread of life. He sustains me daily just like the food I eat every day. He's the light of the world. I can see clearly how to live and walk because of Jesus. He's the good shepherd. And so even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil because he's with me. He's the door. He's the way in, and he's the protection against what is outside. And then finally, number seven this morning, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Will I hear what the Spirit says to the churches? The letter of Revelation opens up like this. In verse three of chapter one, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's the main reason I did this whole series, so I could be blessed because I've now read it out loud. (laughs) 
It's one of the reasons. <laughs> blessed are those who hear. Y'all are blessed. And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It's been spoken out loud. We've all heard it. Will we keep it? I pray that we will be a church that is defined by the fact that we keep the words of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your incredible love for us. Jesus, we thank you that you speak truth. You speak life and you show us the way because it's who you are. God, if there's anything in our lives that we need a mirror held up to, that we need to be honest with ourselves about, God, I thank you that you love us enough that you'll show us that stuff. I also thank you that you love us enough not to leave us there. <coughs> you'll confront us with truth. You'll offer us new life in you. And it's actually, you told us, we just read it. It's a sign of your love that you will correct us. And so Jesus, if there's anything that needs correcting, would you bring it? God, if we just need some encouragement, I pray you'd speak life, hope, truth, encouragement into our hearts. God, I thank you for your presence throughout this past year. And I thank you that you've gone on before us and that you're with us going into this next year. God, I pray for my life personally. God, I want to be someone who speaks the truth of your word, who hears it myself, and who holds on to it. God, I also pray that on a larger scale for this, this church body. God, that we would be people who hold fast to your word and are defined by who you are. May we walk through this life with you, and may we walk into eternity with you always. We love you and we commit our hearts to you as we go into this new year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.